either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. If there's a theme this week, it might be slightly twisted endings. At least for three of the more high-profile films we've got this week. And we'll dig into all of them. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We're from MadWolf.com. And let's start with Nick Bannister, a private investigator of the mind, navigating the alluring world of the past when his life is changed by new client May. A simple case becomes an obsession after she disappears and he fights to learn the truth about her. This is Reminiscence. Here in this life, I've turned a blind eye to plenty. I have to do this. That machine of yours, how close can you get before the illusion's broken? You're going on a journey. All you have to do is follow my voice. Reminiscence. That was by the Little River Band, right? I knew. I knew you were going to say that. That's what I said when we first started watching the movie, and I thought, if that song is trapped in my head, and it wasn't until this very second. I'm like, oh. Happy Yacht Rocking. Uh, Reminiscence. This is in theaters and on HBO Max. And uh, how much you enjoy this, a lot of it is going to be can be uh, told by how well you enjoy noir thrillers. This is sort of a mix of noir and sci-fi, where there's a lot of heavy voiceover, almost like, you know, the dame had to walk into my place. And the uh, the voiceover is done by Hugh Jackman, who plays Nick Bannister. And, yeah, this is a, a future world where there has been a war, and there's also been climate crisis that has raised the, the sea level. Most of, most of it is set in either Miami or New Orleans, and a lot of Miami is sort of turned into sort of a Venice. There's water in the streets, some you can't even drive on anymore, and people are returning to their happy memories courtesy of Nick's deprivation tank that lets them just see that these, these memories are manifested, and he controls this, and they pay him to do it. And then he just gets when the when the dame in the slinky, sexy dress, played by Rebecca Ferguson, comes in, uh, then that just draws him into this mystery. And uh, it is heavy on the noir, and it's it certainly has elements, especially visual elements, that are very interesting. But the entire thing seems like it just never quite comes together. Also, I think it's going to remind you a lot of other films. And I think when you think... You know, noir plus sci-fi, the first thing you think of is Blade Runner. And boy, does it suffer by comparison to Blade oh, Runner. Yeah, exactly. You know, and does. I think that that's kind of the thing is that it's a competent film. It's just nothing about it really jumps out at you. It does look good. It really does. This is the uh, first feature from the creator of Westworld, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Lisa, Lisa Joy is her mm-hmm. name. Yeah, some of it looks really great. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's one set piece of a, a fight involving a, a lot of water and a piano. Oh, yeah. That is fantastic. Yes. So, yeah, a, a lot of it, if you can see it on a big screen, very worthwhile. But, boy, the, the narrative slogs on and the characters, the characterizations, especially, let's be honest, the female characters here. Yeah. Uh, nah. Uh, not great, but uh, but there are certainly are, are elements. It's well acted. Hugh Jackman is always good. Rebecca Ferguson is is always good. And also, uh, speaking of Westworld, Tandy Newton, yeah, uh, who plays 
kind of really the badass of the three of yeah, them. Yeah, Hugh Jackman's right hand right hand woman. Right, but she's. It's not that it's entirely that she's underwritten as much as she, you know, she's she's kind of discarded. Yeah. And I thought she was maybe the most interesting of the characters. Well, and it's also nice to see Cliff Curtis. Yeah. Uh, who's always, he's been in so many movies, solid, solid, mostly supporting performer. Of course, he was just in Dr. Sleep with Rebecca, with Rebecca Ferguson, Ferguson. But he's a very uh, important part of this, too. So, yeah, there's there's a lot here that should come together better than it does. It does feel... I, we say this about so many movies, but man, it feels like if they could have shaved maybe 20 yeah. minutes off yeah, of it, because it does become a slog. It does. And especially you, you were calling out where this movie was going <laughs> quite often. I mean, I probably would have got there. I think I, I called one, remember? Yeah. They said something, and I said, who's been saying that since you walked in the room? <laughs> so if you've seen any of these types of movies, it is, it, you're going to figure it out. But it's it's not terrible. No, it uh, isn't. You know what, though? We were talking about this at lunch today. Rebecca Ferguson, she was in the Hugh Jackman. What's the Hugh Jackman big top movie? The Greatest Showman. There you go. I've asked you that 30 times. I can never remember the name <laughs> of that movie. But for me, the role where I really realized how talented she was was Dr. Dr. Sleep. Sleep. Yeah. She plays Rose the Hat. Mm-hmm. And She's she great. she doesn't seem as constrained by the requirements of the role. The role doesn't require her to be physically perfect. And yeah. she very often gets those roles because she's quite lovely. Yeah. And I think in this movie, again, it's very important that she be physically, you know, stunning. And it I is. feel like when that's not the character she has to play, it's it's as if she's freed up and she mm-hmm. can be a little bit more interesting as a character because mm-hmm. Rose the Hat was just she brilliant. Was yeah. Yeah. This one, I, it's 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 a little bland. Yeah, it, it's sort of like a, a, a toned down version of Body Heat mixed with Total Recall and Minority Report. Right, <laughs> so right. If that sounds like an interesting bag to you, and and again we say parts of it are. Yeah. Uh, especially visually, there there is something here, and I think Lisa Joy is talented and i think maybe in future uh features she'll get it yeah uh, because there's a there's certainly a possibility here but it just feels like a slog a, a noirish slog that we you can really see where it's headed i think part of it might be you know if she she comes from the uh, concept of a series right mm-hmm. i mean there's so much backstory there's so much context and and sort of world building in this mm. with the war and with uh, these land barons and with the mystery of that hand it just felt like too much it was much too dense and but yeah. maybe it would be an interesting series yeah okay i could see that so that is out in theaters this week again looking good looks good on the big screen but you also can also hbo max and also on hbo max it's reminiscence not by the little river band <laughs> Next up is another thriller, this one only in theaters, rescued as a child by the legendary assassin Moody and trained in the family business. Anna is the world's most skilled contract killer, but when Moody, the man who was like a father to her and taught her everything she needs to know about trust and survival, is brutally killed, Anna vows revenge. It's the protege. You could be answers. Probably the last thing you ever say. Why don't you just consider it a mystery best left unsolved? You know that I'm no good. You keep this up, you're gonna die. I just wanted to end their life. And anyone standing in my way. I'd really like to see you again under different circumstances. These are the best circumstances you'll ever see me in. If that doesn't sound terribly unique, it is because it's not. It is not terribly unique. But we've been hearing about this one for months now because uh, one of our 
favorite and most loyal listeners, Omar, has been looking forward to this for a long time. I don't know how it got on his radar so early, but it did. Yeah. So this kind of put it put it in our our minds. Yeah, and and we're sorry to disappoint you, Omar. Also, we miss you very much. We hope yeah, you're doing well. Where you been? I don't know if he's just taking a break from social media. If so, totally understand. Yep. Totally understand. But uh, yeah, we miss you. So chime in. Uh, so the protege, yeah, the assassin is Maggie Q. And actually, somebody asked me this morning, the radio station I call, Q, what's it? It's, it stands for Quigley. Yep. That's her real last name. But anyway, Maggie Q is a cool name. And she pulls off the, the, the badass assassin moves here pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, as she has in all of her roles such as this. But you're right, boy, it's going to seem very familiar, sort of what we talked about with the last movie. You're going to recognize a lot of parts of better films. Right. But... The fun thing is you've got three performers that are always fun to watch in something like this, especially when Maggie Q's character goes mano a mano with Michael Keaton, who plays the villain here, which is some of their scenes together are enjoyable. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So Maggie Q, as you said, I mean, she just you need, I think, the centerpiece that to be good in that particular role, believable, and she is. We've seen her do things like this. I don't, don't think we've ever seen her as the lead in a film like this before, and you, you buy it, that this is what she is and who and what she does. And Sam Jackson is Sam Jackson in this movie, but that's always fun, and, you know, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good role for him, but it's Michael Keaton is the reason to see this yeah. movie. He just, you know, he's so effortless. He's mm-hmm. so, in his, in his performance style, he's just charming, he brings humor to everything he's in, and he really elevates Every he's scene one of those, he's in, he's one of those polite villains. Yeah. Like even as he's threatening to kill her, he's he's very um, you know turned on by her. He's very interested <laughs> in her. Can maybe they have a little flirtation going on? That's part of it. But that's also one of the problems with the movie. The director is uh, Martin Campbell. Been around forever. He's directed a lot of Bond films with various actors. In, but he did the Casino Royale with um, with uh, Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Then he also did some Pierce Brosnan Bonds. Golden Eye. He's done uh, he's Vertical Limit. He's done a lot of things. Yes. Um, and it, it sort of seems cobbled together by just so many other movies that you've seen that are often better. There's nothing about this that stands out, no. really. That's why maybe the times when you, you have those interesting, like one of the most interesting scenes in this movie is just a dinner conversation yeah. between Maggie Q and Michael Keaton. Yeah. It's delightful. But you don't have that going, you know, being layered through the entire movie because it just it's tonally all over the place. It absolutely what kind is. of movie does this want to be? No, I know it absolutely is. And the thing is, you know, when you when you watch a film like this, there's always the the core story which is a vengeance thriller, right? But then there's something underneath, like why? What what happened that they had to kill her boss? And that story doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> It don't make no damn sense. And then also, you know, there's always the 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 lead, right? The stoic, sort of steely assassin. They have to have their own crisis that 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 is resolved by the end. Mm. And and it's so convenient. It doesn't. There's no emotional payoff to it. You're like, well, this isn't. We weren't investing in this the whole time at all. It just is like very. It's just very convenient. There's the, the different elements. They they seem so borrowed from other films that they never tie together in this film at all. Yeah, the writer here is Richard Wank, and he did um, the original Equalizer with Denzel, which I still think is very good. Mm-hmm. Equalizer two, not so much. Mechanic and Expendables too. No, no. Uh, but I still, it's it's one of those movies where you think back to the script and how the very beginning did they think, yeah, this is this is really worth making. This brings something. No, it it just doesn't at all. No. Um, 
aside from the the fact of seeing Sam Jackson be Sam Jackson, which is always fun. It is. And then, and, and of course, we've already mentioned the, the Michael Keaton um, aspect and Maggie Q being a, a, a satisfactory action star. Um, and this one has a bit of a twist thrown in, which is... They always do, though. These films always do. I mean, you, you, you kind of see this one you coming, do. too. Um, so if you like these these types of movies, um, it's going to just serve up more of the same. And it's at, the, at best, it's satisfactory, but it yeah. seems seems like a waste of the talent involved. Agreed. And that is in theaters called The Protégé. Next is the story of a widow beginning to uncover her recently deceased husband's disturbing secrets. It's The Night House. Do you guys believe in ghosts? I think there's something in my house. <laughs> This one is also in theaters, only in theaters uh, this weekend. It's listed as a a horror thriller. And if you like horror as we do, this one is much more creepy than outright terrifying. Right. There are some effective jump scares. And so often I don't like jump scares Mm -hmm. because they're cheap. But these are good. The ones here are well constructed and it it is well directed and well put together. And I think more than anything else, what drives this movie is how well acted it is. And that is thanks to Rebecca Hall, who is, well, she's, She's never been bad, really. No, but I've she's seen. never been but bad. But she's great. She carries this movie as uh, the the lead uh, widow named Beth, who is just really the, the the death, the tragic death of her husband Owen is pretty recent, and she's still in this fog of grief and depression. And while she's just kind of drifting about her existence and going around her the rooms of their really nice looking lake house. Yeah. She starts finding clues about a possible very disturbing second secret life that her husband had and you know so much of that in particular the way that it's uncovered and and what it the the steps that go through felt sort of true oh yeah you know um and uh, and then as you say once it gets to where and it it is you know that it's going to go a little bit nutty because it is a horror film Mm -hmm. her profoundly genuine performance yes um makes even things that could have otherwise felt silly not I think, I think that's that's what this entire film hinges on, because when it gets to that third act, when it makes that turn, if you aren't already on her side, it's just it would be so silly. Yeah, just so silly. But it's not. And the thing that's that's not all that this movie has going for. It's also well directed. It's directed by David Bruckner, who did a, a movie that we loved, a smaller budget horror movie called The Ritual. Right. Very good. And also The Signal, an even smaller oh, movie that signal, we also yeah. love. Exactly. And then the writers are Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, who did Super Dark Times. Another tiny indie film. So good. And you know what the really cool thing is? They work together here, and then they're all getting together again next year while they're working on it now, the uh, the new Hellraiser. So that, yeah, I think this movie can raise raises hopes for that because this is well put together and it manages scares a lot of visual scares especially through what Bruckner is able to do with the house it's yeah. it's a big impressive house and he does he uses forced perspective he uses you know little camera angles and camera tricks and some nice sort of optical illusions yes. that turn parts of the architecture into something else or or does it really right, right. because because of this this uh, depression and grief 
it works the angle of, okay, well, how much of this is, is real and how much is she maybe imagining? Mm-hmm. So you got that angle going on as well, which is not not overly original, but it's well handled here. So that, like we said, when it does take the the twist in the third act into where it's really going, it lands with more emotion, I think, than silliness. Um, and and is, is effective, just effectively creepy. Don't expect outright horror, you know, from start to finish. But it is creepy and well put together, I think, and, and makes for a, a, a solid watch. And it's because it's just all of the the elements, the writing, directing, and acting are all so solid. I think it, it maybe elevates the entire story to where, well, like many stories, I guess, where it wouldn't have been in, in lesser hands. And also, you know, this one is only in theaters. And if you are, especially if you're a fan of horror, it's worth catching in theaters because yeah. it is gorgeous. Yeah. It's, and you don't get to say that very often about That's horror true. films. That's true. But it's it's well done. And again, because of all these these people, these filmmakers are back for Hellraiser. I was already excited about that, seeing what the new Hellraiser might be. But uh, I think these these writers and directors are talented, and it makes for a good good creepy watch called The Night House in theaters. Next up is the one that probably has the biggest twist of all the twisty movies we've got uh, this week. A devastated husband vows to bring justice to the people responsible for his wife's death while protecting the only family he has left, his daughter. It's called Sweet Girl. There's nowhere to hide. We know who you are. People are going to come after us, aren't they? We need to go. Dad, what are you planning to do? You have no idea what you're getting into. I just need to make sense of this. I know you're fighting for us. But this is my fight, too. Going after powerful people was a dangerous business. It also has the biggest star, and I don't mean by wattage, I mean just physical <laughs> presence. <laughs> That's right. It's got the giant Jason Momoa right. in it. Jason Momoa is the lead here. This is a Netflix. This is a Netflix movie. It's the uh, debut, feature debut for Brian Andrew Mendoza. I always <laughs> want to say Mendoza! Mendoza! <laughs> uh, he's the director and a couple of uh, veteran writers. And this one, boy, this is a movie that is built on so much convenience and so much contrivance. I mean, when you have that moment where you're trying to get into a building, a security building that you don't have keys to, but oh, what luck, someone comes out the door just when you need to go in. Yeah. How lucky that is. Yeah. Or if you call a major network cable news show and they put you right on, they put your call right through without, oh, yeah. uh, without any sort of uh, vetting at all, or when you want to blend in as a caterer at this big event and you just grab a uniform off the wall and it fits you perfectly. Yeah. Love when that happens. Dumb as hell. This movie is dumb as hell. And it's too bad because, you know, it does... I, uh, it does. It has a twist. We're not going to talk at all about the twist. It's the kind of twist that I would hate. I always hate. It's a particular twist that does come up every so often, and I always hate it. And, and I feel like there are reasons to be optimistic about this movie, primarily because not Momoa, but... Yeah, Isabel uh, Merced is such a talented young actress. She I is. mean, the first time, I know she did some TV before she was in Sicario, but right. boy, that was one Sicario of her... Sicario 2. Sicario 2. That was one of her first big major, major roles. 
hit it out of the park. And then Instant Family, that right. one with uh, Mark Wahlberg, she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is she she has a lot of talent. And some range, because she, she was also Dora the Explorer, right. and she was adorable and quite funny. Yeah, she has a lot of talent. And she's from Cleveland, which nice. is cool. Uh, but she seems wasted here. I mean, not to not to put down Momoa's talent, but basically he's a charismatic Hulk who is used for fighting sequences here, and that's that's what he does. Right. Because they get pulled into this mystery. He he threatens this pharma bro on live TV because he blames the pharma bro for for holding back this experimental drug that might have saved his wife and his daughter's mother uh, in her cancer battle. And once he does that, the the only thing that his <laughs> His public threat seems to do is arouse the attention of an investigative reporter who's working on some big story about uh, conspiracy for drug prices and everything. But their meeting turns bloody. And the next thing you know, both father and daughter are fugitives running from both good guys and bad guys. So they're on the run. And it just becomes, yeah, every bit of contrivance as the story goes on until it leads to this twist that if it doesn't make your eyes roll back in your head... Okay, you'll probably enjoy this movie, right? But it probably will. And even some of the things we talked about about contrivances, once that twist kicks in, it maybe e- smooths over a little some bit, of them, a little bit. But no, far it does from all of them. No, let's, you're exactly let's right. Let's put it that way. So, uh, it's it's dumb. It's <laughs> dumb as hell. <laughs> it's dumb. But the good thing about it, it's on Netflix. That's right. And if you have Netflix, then it's, then free. it's absolutely free. Yeah. <laughs> and I know a lot of the ladies like Jason Momoa, so I don't think he takes his shirt off, though, does he? I don't think he does. He does not take his shirt off, okay, ladies. Okay, so, ladies, no. that might be a strike. Uh, I don't know. We'll leave that up to you. But that is on Netflix called Sweet Girl. It's kind of dumb. Rest of the crop this week is VOD. We'll start with a street-smart party girl getting mixed up in a violent drug deal and finding a possible way out by masquerading as a nun. That's fun. It's called Habit. All the money and all his drugs are gone, okay? Find a way to get me that 20 grand back. Ah! We're just supposed to tell people we came to Hollywood to start a convent. Haven't seen you before. Well, look at God just working his ways. <laughs> Do you know where to get waxed around here? Always did have a flavor for danger. I hate them. Should I kill them? It's the God Squad, bitch! So what don't I know about you? I'm going to take this opportunity to apologize to Sweet Girl for saying that it was dumb as hell. (laughs) This is dumber. Oh, my. This is so dumb. You know, it's a film that its inspirations are all over its sleeve, and I'm fine with that because... They're good inspirations. They are good inspirations. It's it's clear that this filmmaker likes John Waters. Okay. I like John Waters. Yeah. Tarantino would be big on the list. You okay. can see some David Lynch. Not the Lynchian Lynch, but, I mean, which is to say, that that's a whole other thing. The Lynchian Lynch. You know, like, oh, they're very David Lynch. This movie is not in any way David Lynch, but it's got a true romance vibe. It's got a wild at heart. That's mm-hmm. the Lynch movie vibe. It's got that kind of a vibe. Wild characters on a wild adventure as Mads, who is played by Bella Thorne. She gets into some trouble because she and her two best friends who sell drugs at parties... They lose the bag of drugs and cash, and then the drug dealer is, you know, out to get them. And he's played by Gavin Gavin Rossdale. God, he's terrible. Just terrible. He's so bad. (laughs) But he's not really the threat. It's it's the person that he reports to. And he, of course, is from the rock band Bush, and he's he's done some acting before. Yeah, he was in Constantine, I remember. Yeah, that's right. I think that might have been his first role. Yeah, so he really has, I guess, more credits than I remembered. 
Uh, so really no excuse to be this bad. No, he's terrible. So the drug dealers that he works for, this odd couple, she with a beehive hairdo and he with a, a very brightly colored cowboy outfit. Right there, that screams John Waters. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the thing is that they're not campy. They're not right. fun. They're not creepy. They're not anything. They're you're just like, this is just stupid. You know what I mean? And then to hide from the drug dealers, these three women dress like nuns. But they dress like sexy nuns. Mm-hmm. The two of them are wearing like stripper boots and then Mads is wearing, you know, Converse because that's so edgy. And here's the thing. It recalls back to talking about uh, Reminiscence and Rebecca Ferguson, who is very good looking, but doesn't pose. Bella Thorne is good looking and does nothing but pose. She does anything I've ever seen her in. Yeah, she does nothing but pose. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, her character is in love with Jesus, is in in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the filmmaker, writer-director Janelle Shirtcliffe, I think, to me, that's where she believes that this film is edgy. And so I think that's why she kind of swims in the John Waters waters, right? Like, they're being edgy like a John Waters film. Not even, sort of. Not no. even a shadow of a shade of a John Waters movie here. And that's what I think the thing is. The movie wants to be very, you know, risque and perverse and wild, and it is none of those things. And more importantly, sometimes a John Waters movie can get away with some uh, sketchy acting and, you know, less than interesting performances because the movie is just so nuts. In this case, there's just nothing in particular going on here besides Bella Thorne sort of posing as she gets Eucharist. I mean, there's just, yeah, there's just no good reason to watch this. Well, the best thing about it is it's it's a bargain. It's a bargain VOD, just five ninety nine. If uh, if you're, this is up your alley, it's available now. Called Habit. Next up is an animated adventure. Crypto zookeepers try to capture a Baku, a dream eating hybrid creature of legend, and start wondering if they should display these beasts or keep them hidden and unknown. It's called Crypto Zoo. You see things in the world others do not see. This is who I am. I should not have to hide it. Don't you think some things are meant to stay hidden? We can only greet the strange and unusual with love. If we show them love, they will return love. And love will spread and envelop all the beings on our wondrous world. Well, this is just amazing. We were lucky enough to see this at Virtual Sundance a few months ago. And the actual written review, a great review, by the way, uh, by our Matt Wiener is up at MadWolf.com. And he really nailed it. It's it's a fantastic animated adventure. Writer-director is Dash Shaw. And visually, it's it's glorious. It absolutely is. And it's such an interesting story as well. You, you, may, you may know a couple of the voices. Lake Bell is a voice. Michael Sarah is a voice. But it takes on some interesting issues in the story of trying to track down these endangered, these legendary cryptids, and then who wants to use them as weapons, who wants to set them free, and then everybody's motives are questioned by yep. the end, and that's what's cool about it yeah because it's really you know what it does is is kind of shine a light on liberal guilt on what is 
being liberal and what isn't being liberal, it's really fascinating. But like you said, I, I mean, it's just the animation is so spectacular, so meticulous. And it's a different type of animation. You know, not to take away from, from great animated movies such as Pixar does. Right. But this is a totally different type of animation. Yeah, it's hand-drawn and it's for adults. Yes. Your kids aren't going to like this movie and yeah. you're not going to like watching it with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, very, very highly recommended. Uh, find this one on VOD called CryptoZoo. Yes, animation for adults. I mean, we're not saying it's animated porn or anything. No, but it's, it's but a, that opening sequence there is a lot, there's some nudity in it. There is, there is, but it's yeah, it's adult fair. But boy, so worth it. CryptoZoo. Next up is a very timely documentary featuring Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Representative John Lewis, Senator Cory Booker, Van Jones, Alice Walker, and Danny Glover, and Representative Barbara Lee, a steadfast voice for human rights, peace, and economic and racial and economic and racial justice. It's called Barbara Lee Speaking Truth to Power. Barbara Lee is the conscience of the Congress. She is going to be that consistent voice for what's right. The president is authorized to use force this is going to set the stage for endless war. This resolution passed. One no vote on the board. Central to democracy is the right to dissent. She was right. Continue to speak out. Don't back down. And as we say in my district, stay woke. Brandon Thomas reviewed this for us at MadWolf.com. And it is, as you might expect if you know anything about Barbara Lee, it is inspirational and and very much worth your time. Yeah, with the current events in Afghanistan, a lot of people were posting things, of course, on social media, because everybody suddenly, at least for a few days now, they're no longer experts on infectious diseases. They're experts on Afghanistan and foreign policy, right. which is cool. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people were sharing speeches, old speeches, talking about how the the vote to authorize the war in Afghanistan could go wrong. And none of them were Barbara Lee, because I wanted to say, you know, all those people you're quoting, they even though they had misgivings, they, they voted still for voted it. in favor. Yep. She did not. She's she the only was one. She the one. And she got called every name in the book for, for doing it. And now you see how right she was, because the reasons that she gave for that no vote are absolutely or what it, what has played out over the last 20 years. But the point is how well this this film gets you to know her and her convictions. Which is, you know, first of all, it's so easy to just give up on politicians, just give up on the concept of a politician who is actually a person with integrity. And if that's, I mean, I feel like probably most of us ha have that feeling or have had it, but probably are, are, are pretty heavy with it right now. This movie is it's a nice breath of fresh air. Yeah, and I doubt they, they couldn't have... have Obviously, they didn't know how timely this was going to no. be, but it's incredibly timely. And the director is Abby Ginsberg. And again, you can check out the full review by Brandon Thomas at MadWolf.com on VOD. Oh, this is in select theaters as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so if it's in your area, definitely one you can check out in theaters called Barbara Lee Speaking Truth to Power. And one more, another documentary this week. On January 11th, 2013, Kendrick Johnson was found dead in his high school gymnasium, rolled up in a gym mat. This movie is the feature documentary product of a four-year undercover investigation into the facts of that case. It's called Finding Kendrick Johnson. An FBI agent's home was raided last month in connection with the investigation into the death of a Valdosta teenager. Supporters for Kendrick's family are calling for a Department of Justice investigation. What do you want? The Johnsons and their supporters now hope the FBI will get an answer to what happened to Kendrick Johnson. All along, we know it was bullshit. We know it was bullshit. If KJ had been white, we wouldn't have had to make this film. 
I think the first fact you need to know is that it was ruled a suicide. Yeah, uh, which obviously, if you can tell by that and by the synopsis, this is a troubling, this is not an easy film to watch no, by isn't. any means. And the full written review was done this week by Rachel Willis at MadWolf.com. But yeah, very troubling, but one of those that has great merit to see and to draw and to shed light on, on something where you just, you can't believe this happened. And, and, and the facts of this case led somebody, it's almost like the guy in Jaws ruling it a boat accident. Right. They ruled this a suicide. Well, I think one of the important things to keep in mind, this movie has actually been on VOD for two weeks, and they didn't approach press to cover it until it had been out a week because they were afraid that the police that are involved, who still are in power in the town where this happened, would somehow keep the film from coming out. That's so amazing. It is amazing. So it's a troubling film. It's it's a difficult watch, but I hope you give it a shot. Yeah, and it's again, it's a it's a good bargain. Just three ninety nine on uh, on VOD and has a lot a lot to say. But uh, just be ready for some really troubling facts, but important and vital facts in finding Kendrick Johnson. Okay, let's pivot to the lobby for some news from the Schlocketeer. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for the latest news. And I know we had those those few precious weeks with no postponements, but I guess those days are over. <laughs> yeah, it's looking that way. Although, so far, it's not as bad as I was expecting at this point, at least. MGM and Universal announced a day or two ago that No Time to Die will not be moved to 2022. Ah. It's still set for most overseas countries for a September 30th release, and then it'll open here on October 8th. Um, they said the release dates around the globe might fluctuate a bit due to pandemic surges. I know Australia's date has been pushed to early November, but it is going to be before our eyes sometime this year in the last four months of the year. Um, they're just not going to be able to do their usual, it opens everywhere in the same day or two mm -hmm. routine. Uh, beyond that, next week on, I believe, Wednesday, the 25th, Netflix has a new documentary arriving with a bit of an ominous title. It's Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. <laughs> Happy little trees. <laughs> and so much more, apparently. <laughs> and Shudder is debuting Brandon Christensen's uh, Superhost on September 2nd. Also on September 2nd is uh, Netflix's comedic teen fantasy film Afterlife of the Party. A week later, on the 9th, Shudder will offer up a British ghost film called Martyr's Lane. And then on September 15th, Netflix has a children's horror fantasy film coming out called Night Books, which is produced by Sam Raimi and directed by the guy who did Brightburn. And it also stars Kristen Ritter as an evil witch who abducts a child and threatens to kill him nice. if he doesn't write a new scary story for her every night. So my question is, if the kid doesn't want that job, can I have it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I know a lot of people didn't, but I thought Brightburn was all right. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. Yeah, I, thought it was I agree. Good. I and I would watch a sequel if they ever made one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was an interesting take on the, the superhero-type genre, but uh, that sounds interesting. And then moving on, there's a long-awaited documentary called Boris Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster. That's beginning a limited theatrical run on September 17th, and apparently a VOD release is expected to follow sometime, probably in October. Speaking of postponements or changes, Sony has indeed sold Hotel Transylvania 4. Uh, they pawned it off on Amazon for $100 million. <laughs> 
which honestly, that is a popular franchise and it has been successful. That's but true. That this, is true. This one doesn't have Sandler voicing Dracula anymore. So maybe I don't know if the hundred mil is quite worth it. But hey, if well, that's what they want to pay for it. Then a lot of people just don't just assume that he's going to be in it. Yeah, uh, they haven't said whether or not it will retain its um, early October date, but. I have to imagine Amazon is going to want it to debut sometime in Halloween season, oh, yeah. so unless they want to push it till next year. For I, sure. I would assume it will still come out in early October. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of kids' horror, Disney Plus has a remake of the 90s kids' mummy movie Under Wraps hitting Disney Plus in October. And then keeping the horror train rolling, um, October is going to offer up our second round of Welcome to the Blumhouse features. Right. The first two will be on October 1st, and that's Bingo Hell and Black as Night. And then the remaining two will be a week later on the 8th, which are Madres and The Manor. You know, I, I think I saw all four from last year, and they were decent. Yeah, I, I only saw two of them. Um, I thought they were I thought they were pretty good. They weren't great. Yeah. They weren't really stand out. But this next batch looks a little more varied, and like it might be a little more um, enticing, at least. Okay. And then backtracking a little bit, Shudder is debuting the latest installment in the VHS franchise. That's VHS 94 that comes on their service on October 6th. And then on November 5th, Pablo Lorraine's Kristen Stewart uh, starring Princess Diana biopic Spencer is hitting theaters. And IFC is releasing a Welsh supernatural revenge thriller called The Feast. That'll be in theaters and on VOD on November 19th. And then lastly, Netflix is debuting Paolo Sorrentino's period piece drama, The Hand of God, on December 15th. Right. So I did see that. Lots of horror, some documentaries, and more art house, which is about par for the course this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what we say, if you like horror, come sit next to us. And it's certainly getting into me that time of year. So all good oh, yeah. news. And if you want to catch up on the latest news, as always, just uh, give a follow to The Schlocketeer. Thanks, as always. Hey, thanks for having me. Ooh, big week for us next week. The headliner next week, the new Candyman. Should we say it five times? <laughs> as long as we're not looking in the mirror. <laughs> We've already got it. We get to see it on Tuesday. We do. Correct? Tuesday. Yes. So we, we cannot wait. Can't wait to talk about it. Also, Together. Uh, vacation Friends. Mosquito State. Excited for that one, too. I don't know much about that. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Uh, no Man of God. The Colony. Behemoth. And Echoes of Violence. Okay, we'll see what else pops up. Things usually do. So in the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of the twist endings. It's got a bunch of twist endings this week. Let us know how they went down for you. Uh, We can always keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can find us at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's MadWolfColumbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews from everybody in the MadWolf pack. And our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So have a great week. Keep in touch if you can. We'll talk to you next weekend. And until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. Little River Band, hit it! (laughs) I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. (laughs) 